Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. I'm broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in downtown Santa Monica, the heart of Silicon Beach. Please be seated. we got a great show for you today. And yes, I have a firm handshake too, and I bet you our guest does as well. Um, our topic today is... Uh, a a documentary that just came out uh, last week called Nobody Speak, Trials of the Free Press. And with us today is the, the filmmaker himself, Brian Knappenberger. And the film has been released on Netflix. Um, it was a, an award winner or a nominee at the Sundance Film Festival for Grand Jury Prize and has been critically acclaimed. The Los Angeles Times said it was a troubling foreshadowing of things to come. If journalists are threatened, sidelined, or attacked by powerful institutions and people more concerned with their own interests than what's best for the country or communities. And that was Jeffrey Fleischman of the LA Times. So, um, Brian, are you with us? I'm, I'm here. Thanks for having me. Great to have you, and um, congratulations on the release of the film. And uh, I guess you, know, you, you start at the beginning. What, what led you to do this movie? Was it was a longtime dream to do a movie where one of the main characters was Bubba the Love Sponge? <laughs> maybe not a longtime dream. Maybe just a kind of side benefit of some sort, a kind of unintended consequence. Um, yeah, no, I was really, really interested in this uh, this case between Hulk Hogan and Gawker Media. Um, I, I thought it was interesting by it and, and compelling and, and by itself. Um, wow, I'm going to feedback a weird. Fe- I'm going to take this. Uh, so, the uh, can you hear me? Yeah, sorry. fine. Uh, sorry. Um, so, yeah. So basically, you know, this is the first time a sex tape case like this had ever gone to trial and uh as kind of um tabloidy and as salacious as that sounded you could kind of tell right away that there were some big picture kind of first amendment versus privacy issues at stake and um and it was complex you know i didn't i didn't sort of i think i was attracted to it because it wasn't easy uh you know there's some hard issues at stake and i had some sympathy for hulk hogan but 
then um, this kind of dramatic turn at the end when the verdict is $140 million, uh, when that verdict came down and it was paired with a requirement for Gawker to pay $50 million right away, um, that was the death sentence of Gawker. Um, it is such a dramatic and decisive kind of end to this. And then, of course, it was revealed that Peter Thiel was uh, litigation financing uh, this lawsuit. So he was funding Hulk Hogan's case. I thought that made it a very different story. And it w- so for those who are unfamiliar um, with what we're talking about, this one of the uh, if half, if not maybe two thirds of the film focuses on the Hulk Hogan versus Gawker Meteor case um, because Gawker Meteor had published a sex tape involving Hulk Hogan and um, (laughs) Bubba the Love Sponge's wife, correct? That's right. Yes. So, yeah. And um, it was was in in state court or federal court? This was a state court in Florida. And, and it, apparently it's, it was it was thrown out in federal court or something twice on First Amendment grounds before it got there. And so it it was before a judge who um, was somewhat infamous as being the lawyer. She was obviously a political appointee, and she was the lawyer of the parents of Terry Schiavo, who would you know who tried to um, block her husband from allowing her to die. Um, yeah, and so. You have this this case, and and give us uh, there was something unique about the case. It wasn't just the fact that Hulk Hogan was claiming that he was harmed by uh, the publication of the sex tape, but that there was a, a Sybil-like quality to this. In that Hulk Hogan was both Hulk Hogan and this other man, Terry Bollea, his his real life persona. Yeah. And he somehow was trying to separate the two. Could you explain that? Yeah. So that is a that is a really fascinating, and at times just it, it veers into the the, the bizarre um, part of the case. Uh, the, you know, I, I think the case that the, what they were saying, it, one of the things that Gawker said uh, in their defense of posting this uh, excerpt of a of a sex tape, I think it, it was a, it's, uh, cut down to eight seconds. Um, their defense was that Hogan was a is a public figure, um, that he had um, talked about his sex life on the radio with Howard Stern and lots of other shows, including this incident, and um, that uh, in in that there was some in some newsworthiness of this. There was there was also um, I guess dispute whether there was a tape, whether he'd remembered who it was, and all this stuff. So Gawker was making this case, and and. Uh, the the counterpoint to that was that Hogan was saying, and Hogan's legal team said, "Look, there are two different there's two different people here, right? There's um, Terry Bollea, um, the private person, and then there's there's Hulk Hogan, who is the public figure." And um, he he said in the courtroom, he said, "Look, whenever I leave my home, I you know in my home I'm Terry Bollea. When I leave my home, I'm Hulk Hogan." Well, this happened at that um, at, at Bubba the Love Sponge's house, uh, Bubba's and, and uh, at Heather's house. So, by definition, um, it's Hulk. By his own definition, sure. Yeah. yeah. So this became um, this became a kind of uh, a major kind of and a relatively important part of the case. It gets very strange um, when he starts saying, "Well, look, I don't, I don't." Um, 
you, you know, I, 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 I don't pull bumpers off of Cadillacs. You know, I, that's that's clearly fake. I don't jump off the Empire State Building. And uh, they said, well, look, you've bragged about um, you, you've talked openly about your sex life on lots of radio shows. Um, and uh, it, it gets down to this this bizarre moment where he said where uh, the the the. The lawyer asks him, you know, he talks about his 10-inch, uh, let's just say manhood. I don't know. I guess we're on a podcast, so we can be a little more. <laughs> you, can, you can go full Monty on this one. But <laughs> So uh, he said, and, and, and um, uh, uh, Mr. Bollea says, well, look, that's Hulk Hogan has a 10-inch penis, essentially. And uh, Terry Bollea, not so much. Uh, so that becomes a, a kind of moment in this where that 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 tries to define the distinction between these two people and and then of course that gets very deep in terms of what is a public character what isn't what can you say so that's part of the 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 that's just one of the bizarre t- twists and turns of this uh of this trial and and ultimately the verdict found that um the non the the non well endowed <laughs> yeah terry yeah. the non well endowed yeah. terry you know, was harmed and they awarded a $140 million verdict. Yeah. Yeah, and just a, so, a staggering amount of money. So you said that this, this case was messy. And I, I think that's a, that's a good, good term for it. Um, or something close to that. Um, and because, first of all, there is a question of you know, Gawker. Let's talk a little bit about who Gawker was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gawker is, um, y- you know, I-, I think the best way to describe it, they come from a kind of tabloid tradition. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're often, um, very provocative. Uh, they're the word snarky is used quite a bit, um, to, uh, you know, to describe their tone, which I think is what most people responded to both loved, uh, what they loved about Gawker and what people hated about Gawker. It, it you know, it, Gawker invited a lot of hatred on itself. Um, you know, some people loved it. It was you know, it went after celebrities. It went after um, it saved a lot of venom for a kind of particular slice of a you know New York media elite. Um, uh, it uh, went after Silica. It had two it had a bunch of different blogs. One of which was um, Valleywag. Uh, Gizmodo is a part of the Gawker media um, uh, uh, collection of blogs. So it went after Silicon Valley uh, figures. It went after, um, you know, it went after power. It sort of punched up. It, it went a, in a way that was very snarky, often uh, with stories that were, um, let's just say, less reported than other stories. I mean, they, when they had a few tips, they would often, you know, publish a story and then hope to get more uh, information and build on the story. They did some. Um, you know, absurd things, some indefensible things. Uh, just three or four times that I think they, they clearly crossed the line. But they also broke some, some, uh, some interesting uh, stories and did some solid journalism. So, people loved Gawker; they hated it. Some of the people who were the victims, of, uh, the most v- victims of its most vicious takedowns, were also some of his biggest fans. Uh, it's a complicated relationship. So here you have a complicated situation. Because you have this, this renowned, uh, in, in both sense, media outlet that has published 
a sex tape of someone. And, you know, the question is, when, if ever, is that newsworthy? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's that's what that's what plays out in the courtroom. Gawker is say, says that because public because he's a public figure, um, because he had talked a lot about the, this incident at, on the radio and other places, um, and uh, he they they believed it was it was newsworthy. And, and um, yeah, what's your view? Do you do you think this this is ever newsworthy? Well, I have a hard time. You know, I don't defend uh, what Gawker did. I I do think um, it's complex. He is a public figure. Um, you know, I think Gawker made a, a lot of mistakes when you know they, for instance, they they didn't take it down. Uh, they didn't they didn't they refused to take it down. They made a lot of mistakes. In the Gee, you think room. they regret that one? <laughs> yeah, I think they regret that one. I'm sure. I'm sure. I don't know for sure, but yeah, it's, yeah, a, I think it's yeah. a safe bet. It's a safe bet. Um, the uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, look, that's what I, I, I wanted to get into. When, where is that line? And and I tend to be um, maybe slightly more uh, extreme than some. I mean, I, I believe that in the First Amendment, it has a pretty strong that those those boundaries should be pretty far far out and, there. And one thing I think I think you did effectively in the movie was uh, you, you had the equivalent of a Greek or Greek chorus when and you know renowned First Amendment lawyer Floyd Abrams, you know, every now and then just putting it in context. And, and I thought you did that very well. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, he's, he's quite a famous lawyer on, on First Amendment issues and trying to frame this in the First Amendment context. But, you know, I think to a certain extent, people do have that. Well, why, why would you do that? You know, mm-hmm. And that, I think that's what makes this a complex discussion. Because okay, well, they they really you did that, and um, but then then comes the after story, yeah, that, that really makes this a little bit more interesting. Yes, so that's that's what shifts it to me. It is the fact that Peter Thiel is behind this, that this very, very wealthy person, you know, in, in this context, somebody who has almost an unlimited amount of wealth, can um, can be doing this in secret. That uh, you know can be funding Hulk Hogan's lawsuit, and by the way, not just Hulk Hogan, lots of other uh, lawsuits and attempts to kind of kill Gawker. Um, the lawyer in this case, Charles Harder, is also even recently in the last few days has continued a a lawsuit against a Gawker property called Deadspin. Um, so I don't know if that's if Peter Thiel's behind that or not, but uh, the the effort against um, the, the 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 carcass that was Gawker continues, um, so that part makes this very different. That that becomes about is our system, uh, you know, cl- is clearly vulnerable to the very rich uh, with with an axe to grind. And I noticed harder was it in the movie. Is was is there a reason for that? I think we reached out and it didn't it didn't work uh, or something. I kind of you know we I think we tried to get him. We certainly tried to get uh, Peter Thiel uh, there. You know we we made this film kind of while it was there was still a lot of tension between the sides. It's since um, settled this case, but um, what well, uh, other In than bankruptcy, the dead, yeah, other yeah. than the dead spin and the other stuff that kind of lingers. But um, you know the. So, so you know, I think there was some reluctance. Uh, people wanted to tell their story, but at the same time, you know, knew that uh, a word out of place might um, might have the, the stakes were very high. There's a lot of money at stake. 
And we'll, we'll get into this a little bit later, um, but Harder was also the lawyer for Melania Trump's um, defamation case against, uh, I forget the the London tablet. I think it's the Daily Mail, and it's yes. also another uh, blog. I don't know the name, but it's a 70-year-old uh, blogger that had – Maryland, was, yeah. Yeah, in Maryland. And this was uh, this was uh, this was another, you know, they were asking for huge, huge uh, damages on this, and um, the blogger had t- took it down right away. Um, and uh, I, I think that I actually don't know what what the state of things are on, on that case. I assume it's I, ongoing. I, no, I think they settled, and and then they even made an announcement. Obviously, not about the amount, but that there was a, a some kind of settlement, um, and maybe maybe that's with the um, the mail. But I know that they, they did make some announcement of a settlement. But what struck me about this, and and I've actually opposed harder. Um, but what struck me about this was that this you know, there's always that tension when you have a defamation issue for a high profile person. There is the you know, what's known as the Streisand effect. If if do yeah. I if I sue, do I bring more attention to the fact that I'm telling everyone, don't look at this. Yeah. Please don't look at this. And and and, and so knowing you know, one that um the 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 art you know the, the article that was posted didn't really get traction. But right. then to, to still sue and continue to pursue it, you know, even after you know the inauguration and and that suggests either a calculus that they didn't think there was much blowback on the the uh, Streisand effect side because you know everyone reported developments in the case, which mm-hmm. then forced you know just kept bringing this up. So here you have inaugural week, you and you know the first lady is being shown all over the world, and then there's discussions about this case about whether or not I think what was the allegation that they they claimed that she was an escort or something. And, and so you, you're just dredging that up, and it suggested to me that maybe their intention was punitive. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, that that's I think that seems that seems right. I mean, the um, you know, I think if you go back to the Hogan case too, you know, there, there's um, you know, there, there there are things that are mysterious about about the difference between. You know, d- does Hogan care if Gawker is, you know, killed or not? Uh, you know, d- or does he just want kind of reparations for what you know what he thinks right. is, you know, vindication? Yeah, vindication. Um, and so you so you wonder, and of course I'm not um, behind the scenes there. I don't know, you know, I don't know the difference between um, what Hogan's legal team thought and what maybe Teal's influence was, but. Um, but yeah, you, 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 I think some of those same questions come up with that. And you mentioned in the movie an important, and it's it's hard to appreciate, I think, for a layman, an important strategic decision made by Harder, and and that in the Gawker case, and that was you know, in a lawsuit you you file a complaint and you assert a number of claims, you know, different theories of why you're entitled to recovery, and I. Hogan, I believe, won on what invasion of privacy. Yeah, and but Hogan also had, or you know, Terry Balea uh, also had a claim for 
intentional infliction of emotional distress. And the, the what's one you know, which also allows for assessment of punitive damages. Mm-hmm. And it that's somewhat of a tricky claim because anytime you 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 pursue a claim for emotional distress, you also you, you make your client's emotional state an, an issue, and which then could lead to discovery of you know that your client's emotional well-being, which may or may not you may or may not want to do. But usually, you know, once you you assert it, you you, you pursue it, and but one thing about that claim is that that was affording Gawker insurance coverage because somehow that triggered coverage under their policy, uh, their liability policy as a personal injury. Yeah. And um, and since most liability policies cover damage to property and personal injury and the way they're defined, sometimes claims like this can do that. Um, and then they dropped it. To in order and that and doing so forced Gawker now to fund its defense, and yeah. and how long was his trial? This I think it went on and off. For, I mean, the, the 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 legal wrangling was probably four years or something. Right for for eight seconds, you know. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Do the math on that one, but um, so that that's just. It's it's striking. It was just a decision to make Gawker bleed yeah. before the trial. And that's the thing that that move was the one thing that people said that made a lot of people kind of their eyes their eyebrows raised up a little bit and said, "Well, why would they do that? I mean, they're taking account off the table. They're right. they're taking a potential uh, yet another kind of uh, possible." Uh, a reason to get a payout to 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 Hogan. They're taking that off the table. Um, it doesn't make sense if you're in Hogan's vision, you want to get as much money as you possibly can for this. Um, but it does make sense, of course, if you want to hurt Gawker, if you want to um, exact pain on them so that their insurance can't cover it, that they'll be on the hook for it. So that was people, you know people were were, you know, Teal's involvement wasn't known during the trial. Um, nobody, nobody understood that. So um, that was the first time when people said, "Well, is this something weird is going on here that right. we may not be uh, all aware of?" And we're going to take a short break. We're going to talk about this more when we come back. Um, this is you're listening to Brian Knappenberger, director of Nobody Speak on Cyberlaw Business Report, only on Cranberry FM. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E-Digital.com. How much are your best ideas worth? PriorThings.com gives you an added layer of protection for all of your intellectual property, ideas, and creative things. New business idea, pitch deck, PowerPoint presentation, song lyrics, source code, killer blog posts. We help you protect it all. How do we do it? We use the same technology platform that secures transactions for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. 
Learn more at PriorThings.com. Check out exclusive listener pricing for Cranberry Radio listeners by going to bit.ly slash Circle. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Content for your ears. And everything in between. Cranberry.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. And we're back and we're talking to Brian Knappenberger, the filmmaker behind the acclaimed documentary Nobody Speak. And we were just talking earlier about how Hulk Hogan's team, legal team, made a decision to drop an important claim um, intentional infliction and negligent infliction of emotional distress, which would trigger, um, which would trigger insurance coverage, and so removing it would remove insurance coverage. And there's a reason why you would normally not want to do that, and that's because you know, in litigation, you want to make sure you get paid. You want to be able to collect, and so by having insurance coverage, um, you know, for the defendant. You know that that guy now has a pot of money to either settle. You know, it's other people's money. They either will settle or they'll pay. And, and so, in some ways, it by doing that, it, it bled Gawker, but it also made their ability to collect harder. And as is evidenced by the fact that this ultimately was forced into bankruptcy. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an excellent point, and and I, you know, it's it's just one of the reasons why it, it, that why this seems so strange, and um, you know, the, as you know, you talk to people that were in the courtroom as well, and they kept saying, well, man, they're just they're, the legal team is so um, you know they're so intense, they're so they're they're um, it, 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 you know they're 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 dragging this out as much as they possibly can, um, and so that it was just one of this kind of um, just beginning of the idea that 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 there was something, some shadow kind of element happening here. And, and so, explain why Peter Thiel would want to fund a. You know, first of all, let's let's talk about who Peter Thiel is. Okay, yeah, Peter Thiel is um, you know one of the most prominent Silicon Valley uh, venture capitalists. He's um, really well known. Well, he's a co-founder of PayPal. Uh, but he's really well known as being one of the first outside investors of Facebook and still being on Facebook's board of directors. So, um, you know, uh, he is a controversial figure. He came out um, last year. He got a, he uh, courted a lot of controversy for uh, being a Trump supporter, um, and, which is rare in Silicon Valley. He has taken some uh, pretty un, unusual kind of um, – 
views in his life and uh, has taken some criticism for that. Um, and so, you know, th- this figure, he, he also owns another company or co-founder of a company called Palantir, um, which is a military um, intelligence kind of contractor company. It was originally, most of their money was originally from uh, based on the CIA, that came from CIA. So um, we have, that. that's, that's uh, that's Peter Thiel. So when he, in some ways, he's the last person you might think would just kind of come out of the, out of the woodwork here, uh, emerge from the darkness, almost like a, a kind of Bond villain or something. Um, uh, the, it was a real shock to to sort of learn that he was the one uh, behind this. And why would he do that? Well, we don't uh, – to answer the question why, we, you know, we basically have a couple of things. We have like – he wrote – he did an interview with the New York Times after Forbes actually revealed that he was the guy behind it. The New York Times broke the story that there was somebody. Forbes broke that it was Peter Thiel. And then Peter Thiel did an interview with the New York Times and explained a couple of things. He did a an op-ed with them. Like I said, he Peter Thiel didn't talk to us. We probably asked him – uh, six times or something, um, but uh, we caught him at the National Press Club where I I happened to be. They happened to ask the question that I was wanted to ask him um, when this this system of uh, of uh, submitting questions online. So that's as far as we got. Anyway, he was um, presumably from all that you we've learned. He he was angry that Gawker had outed him on their pages in two thousand eight. In a uh, typically Gawker snarky headline uh, that said uh, Peter Thiel is totally gay, people, um, which actually accompanied a pretty substantive article that talked about bias in Silicon Valley. I think was actually really good reporting by uh, a man named uh, uh, Owen Thomas, who is also gay. Um, and and but the pres- publisher of Gawker is gay as well. And right? Nick Denton uh, is is also gay, right? So um, Nick Denton pushes back. On that, another controversial aspect of Gawker is that they would often um, they would often they, they wouldn't hesitate to out people, um, which is which was controversial. Nick Denton's position uh, as a gay uh, man, he doesn't believe that uh, that that that's something that they should stay away from. Uh, that that uh, that that it's bad to out people. Um, that he's kind of angry at publications that. Um, do a you know to do a do a profile of somebody in the New York Times or Bloomberg Business Week and it's a and it's a celebrity or a Silicon Valley um, luminary and and um, if that person's straight then the first question is about their family and about their right. spouse but if that person's gay and the interviewer knows they're gay um, it's if still kind of off off limits yeah. and I think that gen- I mean from talking to Nick I think that genuinely pisses him off I I think he's doesn't think it's something to stay away from. Um, so, uh, and, and he also believes that if there are prominent people who are, uh, gay, Silicon Valley venture capitalists or the, the CEO of Apple that, and that, um, young gay kids should have those people as role models. Um, so that's his position. Um, certainly a controversial position, but, um, Presumably, that's one of the reasons why uh, state. That was one of the stated reasons why Peter Thiel was angry with them. But you know, Gawker's other properties, Valleywag and Gizmodo, and um, went after Thiel uh, businesses and certainly harassed him and and wrote stories about about them. Peter, Peter Thiel also said 
that Gawker and, or Valleywag was bad for the Valley. In fact, I think he compared them to a, a, a terrorist organization in Silicon Valley uh, of some sort. So he was angry about critical reporting that those publications were doing about Silicon Valley. And, and that's a little harder to defend because – um, you know, I mean, the part of the point of journalism is to speak truth to power, to uh, to to go after the powerful and the, and the wealthy, and 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 hold them a, a, some degree of accountability. But um, and and who in our society has more power uh, and money than than Silicon Valley? Right. And 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 it's an entire industry without much of an adversarial press. And that's what made Gawker stand out, and particularly, and made them more of a target than in this case. Yeah. And I think I think you can't separate Teal's motivations there from uh, from that from from their from that role that they were playing there. But let's assume it's the it's the former. I mean, they outed him what eight or nine years before. Yeah, but it's believed that he also this wasn't the first case against Gawker he funded. Right. So Forbes has done really good reporting on this, where they've looked at all of the cases that are connected to Charles Harder against. Uh, not just cases. There was other. There were other little efforts against Gawker. There was an effort to um, uh, to 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 file a kind of. I think it was a. It was a part of a class action suit or something about unpaid interns. Um, there was, uh, but there was also lots of other um, lawsuits that were completely unrelated to Hogan that Harder was behind. Forbes has linked some of those. To teal, uh, so you know you can't. You have to be somewhat careful. You can't say everything that right. Carter is doing is backed by teal. Um, but at the same time, uh, Forbes has done some excellent reporting doing that. So, and and these things are unrelated to the Hogan case. So this so, is an effort on his part to to kill Gawker. The basically, the, the, the they had a bullseye on his on their back from his perspective. Yeah, no doubt. So the. The film shifts gears after the Gawker trial and focuses on a, another case completely separate, but of, about a billionaire trying to, in essence, si- silence criticism of him in his backyard, just as you know, presumably Teal was trying to mute um, Gawker's coverage of him in, in, in his home territory, Silicon Valley. And that's Sheldon Nielsen. That's right. Yeah. It, it's tell us what happened in, with in Las Vegas and tell, first start with who was Sheldon Adelson? Yes, Sheldon Adelson is a casino magnate, a wildly wildly successful businessman. I think he's the now uh, this keeps changing, but I think he's now the seventeenth richest person in the world. Um, he owns, you know, he owns uh, Las Vegas casino resorts like uh, the Venetian and. Um, uh, Palazzo and 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 uh, Las Vegas, uh, sorry, the Sands Convention Center for a long time. So, um, extremely wealthy individual. What the story? I, you know, I love this story too. It, it, it it's um, you know, basically this, the the reporters of the Las Vegas Review Journal were all called into a big conference room. They were going to be told some news, and and uh, they were informed that their paper had been sold uh, to somebody, and. Um, you know, it was startling. They didn't know the paper was for sale. Um, the paper had just been bought, I think it was uh, fairly recently, within a year or something. And um, so the first, their first question is, uh, well, who bought the paper, of course? Right. And they said uh, – and the answer that they were given was, don't worry about it. Um, just go do your job. 
Right, not uh, the right answer to give journalists. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and then so uh, the journalist responded uh, as they should. They said, well, what, what, first of all, what is our job? This is the biggest story in Las Vegas right now. Uh, and also, we got to know uh, who owns our paper, so we know what their intentions are, what what's uh, what their expectations are, what their perspective is, all of that. This is this is not okay um, that, that for us not to know this. And so they go about finding it, and basically, we tell the story from their perspective of figuring out who it was, and that it was Sheldon Adelson who had and, attempted to buy the paper earlier. And, and was, they they run the story. And they never get approval from the editor yeah. to run the story. And so they just say, you know, to hell with it. We'll, we'll do it anyway. Yep. At, at their peril. Yeah. It's quite a moment of courage, actually. They they have the story. They figure it out. They have the story ready to go. Um, it's, you know, early afternoon sometime. And they're just ready to hit send. And hours go by waiting for approval. And it just keeps going and going and going. And pretty soon... Um, they just go for it. The editor just says, "We're going to do this." And one of the one of the writers said, quotes him as saying, "I'm not going to tell you what he said, but it started with an F and it ended with an it." <laughs> Friendship. Um, and uh, so, uh, yeah, he was contemplating best deal day, but the <laughs> um, so he does it, and it is. Um, I think the proper title is the former editor. <laughs> Yes. Well, all of them are former. Everybody in the yeah. film. Yeah. I think there was one who was still there, wasn't it? I think one of the... Uh... No, nobody that's in the film. There, there are a couple of people... Yeah, we, we go through the list of people that were involved, and some of those people were there. But okay. um, I, I think that this took off the board um, close to 100 people. Wow. And how many, out of a staff of how many? Uh, oh, I don't know that, actually. Okay. But in any event... It's a yeah. solid staff of... I mean, it's a big, good newspaper, solid newspaper. And you also talked to a columnist who had written about Adelson. Adelson. Yeah. And, um, and what were the instructions given to him under the new management? Well, I think the, the, uh, the, well, he said he couldn't write about Sheldon Adelson in his column. Uh, yeah. This is John L. Smith, uh, really um, a great writer, uh, kind of a, an icon in that area, uh, been around for, for many, many years, a uh, hugely popular columnist, and was told he couldn't write about Sheldon Adelson. And we've had other stories since then where people said that they were asked um, to put text into uh, one of their stories, verbatim, not don't change it, put it here in the story, uh, things like that, where th- and had their stories changed and stuff after since they after they submitted them so um there there's we've heard those kinds of things uh stories like that since then okay we're going to take another break when we come back um we'll be talking more and wrapping up with brian knappenberger you're listening to cyberlaw business board only on cranberry.fm stay tuned for more of the cyberlaw and business report after this brief recess for our sponsors Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix... 
So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contest and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Synergize your search engine education from 101 to rock star level. Only on Cranberry Radio. Cranberry.fm. The best gavel to gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. And we're back and we're talking to Brian Knappenberger. And just for, as usual, um, we have show notes available on our blog, Radio at wordpress.com. And you can see um, information about the film, which is available on Netflix, as well as some of the other films um, Knappenberger has done that include um, The Internet's Own Boy, The Story of Aaron Schwartz, and We Are Legion, The Story of the Hacktivist. So... Um, any event so and also just a quick side note the uh, las vegas review journal is uh, las vegas is one of the few remaining two newspaper towns and there is another newspaper in las vegas who may benefit at possibly from this cover you know this change in the las vegas review journal and that's the las vegas sun whose um headline today on on the uh, on the web is Bionic bartenders deployed at strip bar, but can you bend their ear? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, journalism oh is That's... alive and well in Las Vegas. Oh, but... clearly, yeah. <laughs> can you bend their ear? Um, <laughs> anyway, so your, your movie, um, once you go to Vegas, you know you're going to get off track. But um, <laughs> the movie ultimately kind of threads and culminates in really the, the the campaign and election of Donald Trump. Yeah. And his open and brazen hostility to the press. And it putting all together Teal, Adelson, and now you have Trump, a commander in chief, who is openly hostile to the press. And and what what the what that presents as a danger to a free society. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we, we kind of understood that there was there was parallels between what was happening in the courtroom in Florida and, and this bizarre election cycle, and we kind of understood that uh, right away. Um, you know, in the Hogan case, you, it kind of seemed like the media itself was on on trial a bit, and. Um, and uh, you know there was a palpable kind of hatred of the media. So so you know, and then the 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 
the Peter Thiel connection and uh, uh, made that even more dramatic. And then that was, of course, before you know we started this before Peter Thiel became a Trump supporter, gave money to Trump, spoke at the RNC, then obviously became part of Trump's transition team and all that. So we have um, this all of these things kind of wove themselves together. But Trump, I'm, you know, I, I, I think what Trump represents is a real threat to journalists and, and, and a threat to a free press. Um, and uh, and uh, of course, he's he's a, a billionaire who's done lots, um, filed lots and lots of lawsuits, uh, and and has talked about open up opening up libel laws and things like that. And that, and and let's explain what that means. I mean, the United States is unique. Vis-a-vis you know, Europe, um, particularly in England, um, where someone claiming defamation in in England has to the burden of proof is on the, the publisher to, to show that it is true, and the, so that creates uh, a, two problems. One, just the cost of litigation. You know, who wants to who wants to fight? Uh, and so you you may just kind of cave or retract or do something. Given that you do have the burden, but then you know the second part is you know um, that that's that could chill speech, and in the United States it's the opposite that the one the plaintiff has to prove falsity, and if they're a high profile figure they have to show malice, and and, and the, so that's a very high standard, and and the theory being that, that by having that we, we we enable more robust speech. And I wanted to ask a question because um, we were talking about Peter Thiel, Thiel um, funding the case, and it reminded me that I went to in 2007ish. I went to a an awards dinner for um, his name will come back to me again, but basically he funded the defense of. Um, the guy from the Pentagon Papers, whose name just saved me as well, and um, you know, and he said that um, you know, had it not been for this this funder, I would just be getting out of jail now for leaking mm. the Pentagon Papers. Oh, Daniel Ellsberg. Yeah, right. Daniel Ellsberg, right? And it was Stan- Stanley Scheinbein, yeah. um, you know, who married one of the last of the Warner daughters and had you know, was very successful, prominent. Um, entertainment figure in Los Angeles, but also a huge supporter of the ACLU. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously causes like this, Ellsberg, and he, you know, he funded uh, the government campaign substantially. And so, um, and so in some ways, it's not necessarily the, the funding of mm-hmm. litigation in one way or the other, but it's the, it's the idea of crushing and squelching speech that's the problem. Yeah, I think that's true. The other thing is, and I don't actually know if this was true with the case that you just mentioned, but I think what bothers me is the secretive aspect of it. Um, a lot of people have uh, pointed out that you know the ACLU does fund cases, that does come down on the side of, of cases, and, uh, and, and of course to make a, a specific political point. Right. Um, but you know, it's, you know it's the ACLU. You know the point that they're trying to make. There's something about the kind of secretive way that that Peter Thiel um, kind of moved the pieces around on the chessboard here that that seems um, uh, disturbing. I don't see how 
this could be and as i understand it again i'm not i'm not a lawyer um but i understand this used to be illegal this i guess it was called champery uh-huh. um at one point so um so i i don't see how these tactics couldn't be used against any news organization a kind of blanket um shotgun approach to as many as many um uh defamation or libel or as many lawsuits as possible against the organization you're trying to shut down and and just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks if you if you have a lot of money to throw at this stuff so um you know you you may hate gawker but i don't see why it, it has to be gawker that's the victim here it could be almost anything um so uh, so that that's the part, and I think that's the secretive aspect of the Adelson purchase is also what I find troublesome. Uh, clearly, very wealthy individuals buy newspapers. Uh, obviously, it's always been true. True, yeah. Um, they don't come cheap. <laughs> they don't come cheap, yeah. And 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 they may even who knows maybe they even do it to to influence coverage or maybe they, but usually it's a kind of um, source of civic pride. Uh, and at the very least, you know who it is. Uh, right. You know who did it, what their expectations are, what their business interests are, where to be extra careful to look for p- impartial coverage. I mean, I think that's true of Jeff Bezos, for instance. Jeff Bezos um, has had a stewardship of the Washington Post that most people look at as relatively traditional, the hands-off. Um, but you know, when when Amazon buys Whole Foods, you got to think, well, how how is the Washington Post covering that? And so, um, but but you know, at least you know it's him, right? Now, in looking at you know this involvement, you know, going after um, the Gawker, if you're a small town newspaper, if you're not, you know, the New York Times, if you're, you know, the Aniston, whatever the <laughs> the paper is in Aniston, Alabama, or you know, the, some small newspaper, you know, Santa Monica Daily Press, for example, uh, are you going to think twice about running a, you know, breaking a, a story that's a negative about someone who might have the capacity to crush you? Uh, yes, you are. Uh, you know, there's lots of stories out there, and so when you're choosing which ones to go after. Um, I do think that this sort of thing chills chills speech, chills journalism. So, um, you know, you, do you want to take – do you want to – you know, and how many of these stories do you want to do? Uh, right. How much do you want to push the boundary? Um, so I think that that's one of the big concerns. Um, I mean that's really – at the heart of this, that's what you don't want to do. You want to have a strong press – um, that that uh, that questions power that 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 looks for the truth that tries to surface the truth that 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 figure you know that's what we need. Did, did you happen to see the exchange yesterday between Sarah Huckabee Sanders and um, at, during the the media gaggle the daily briefing? And it was a Playboy reporter or something that stood up for CNN. Yes. Is there? I, I actually yeah. did not see. I read about that, so I didn't see it. That and, sounded um, extraordinary, actually. It was, you know, basically she's saying, you know, you, you and clearly CNN screwed up and, you know, some of the reporters were fired, but she was saying you, you're all fake, fake news. Yeah. And, and he just said, you know, F that, um, you know, we're, we're trying to do our jobs and yes, when we get it wrong, we, we take responsibility. Unlike you, <laughs> by mm-hmm. the way, you know, where's, where's your, uh, apology for, you know, false statements, you know, like this was the biggest inaugural in, in the history of the universe. <laughs> yeah. 
And even that's quaint compared to this daily uh, series of lies we get. Yes. Um, what is your uh, What is your sense um, on this? Are you optimistic? Pessimistic? I'm slightly optimistic. I, I do think that there's something about Trump that has triggered a kind of reawakening in the press. Um, that there is legitimate criticism of of media that it's gotten over time too cozy to power that it's gotten um you know that's become too corporatized that it trades softball stories essentially right. for access to power and celebrity um and you know trump has kicked the press a little bit back on their heels and they've had to figure out well how do we deal with this guy when we're just getting a daily barrage of lies um, and, and deception and and uh, manipulation, you know. I, 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 it, to me, it seems like some good reporting is actually getting done right now. The Washington Post and New York Times and other places. So, hopefully, this becomes a habit. And that's the one thing I've seen in the press coverage, especially Brian Williams. He's always quick to point out that there's just some, some remarkable work done by the print journalists that you know we're covering here. And um, so um, the movie now is on Netflix. And do you have any any events coming up to promote the film, or should just people should just go to Netflix to find it? Uh, yes, we, well, actually both. Yeah, we have, um, we are going to be, uh, we have some film festivals coming up. We're going to, we have a screening if you're in LA at, the, uh, it's the rap screening. Um, <clears throat> I wished I had at my disposal exactly where that is. It's next, uh, it's next Thursday, okay. uh, put on by the rap. Um, I don't have the location, but the, uh, so that's, we'll add that's it to the show notes. And then we're going to have a yeah we're going to have a panel afterwards, and then um, we're at the Hamptons Film Festival, I believe, and a couple of other things coming up. But you can see this uh, right now on Netflix. Great, as I did uh, just last Friday. Now, um, what's your next project? Um, I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm looking at doing I'm actually thinking about a narrative project to be honest, uh, but I'm also rooting around in two two new documentary ideas. Um, that uh, not 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 quite for public consumption yet, but in the same vein of, uh, you know, I'm just really fascinated with generally about technology and how it's shifting and changing our lives and how um, more sort of I guess you'd say traditional human rights civil liberties kind of make it into that world. Sure. So no more Bubba Love Sponge films. <laughs> or maybe I could just go in that direction only. That might be more. <laughs> just no, but- uh, yeah. So that, that might up, be better. Is there a question you wish I had asked? No, I, that was great. It was really, it's good. I, I want to thank you for joining us. And uh, a lot of people were excited that you were coming on, and myself included. I, I think you did a great job in the film, and you know, you've, you've been acclaimed for your other work. You know, the internet's own boy, and um, this is an important film. It's an important topic. And so hats off to you for your work and I hope it continues to get you know, recognition and viewers. And, um, and thank you very much for joining us. If people want to follow you, what's the best way to do it? Uh, Twitter's great. Twitter's. And your Twitter handle, it's, it's on the show notes, but just for the listeners. It's just at NAPB, so K-N-A-P-P-B, my first great. name. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Brian. It was a pleasure having you. And um, let us know what your next project is, and um, we'll definitely be be watching that. But if you can just shoot us what the information is on that screening in L.A., we'll add it to the show notes. But again, that's at um, cyberlawradio.wordpress. And check us out at cyberlawradio on Twitter. And as, as usual, check out the Internet Law Center. We're a full-service law firm based in Santa Monica at internetlawcenter.net. I want to thank you. Um, 
everyone. And so join us next week. Um, we'll be talking more about internet law and other issues involving Silicon Beach. And uh, everyone have a happy 4th. And for my Canadian friends, happy Canada Day and 150th birthday of Canada. So um, be safe and we'll see you next week. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and the guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.